turn in your Bibles uh, this morning to Mark chapter 4, and we're going to be in verses 21 to 34 this morning. I titled this morning's message, God's Good Seed. And let's pray. Father, we lift up, Lord, Your Word. Lord, Your Word is powerful, it's anointed. And Lord, it really doesn't need anything from me or anyone else. It speaks for itself. It's powerful. It's, it's food to our soul. And Lord, I pray this morning as we look at Your words, as we even read these red letter words, Your words to Your disciples, Lord, that we would hear, that we would tune in, that we would leave today with understanding. And we thank you for it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I shared uh, last week, as I already shared, this parable of the sower. And in verse 3, look at your Bibles. Look at the first word there. It, It says, listen. Listen with an exclamation mark behind it. Jesus says, behold, a sower went out to sow. And the the tense of that word, actually, this word listen, is actually a command. We're we're commanded to listen or to, to tune in, to seek God's face on what His Word means and what He's saying. We're to listen. I shared a a lot about listening, being a hearer of the Word. As a matter of fact, Jesus finished this parable in verse 9. He says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Exclamation mark. I shared how a lot of times we hear in the physical, but we don't hear in the spiritual. And God is looking for those hearts and those people that have hearts that want to hear from Him. That desire to know truth. And I I can guarantee you this, that if you approach God in that way and you approach His Word in that way, He's going to reveal His truth to you. In verses 10 and 12, 10-12, through when Jesus was alone, we're told, Those around him with the twelve, they asked him about the parable. And they did that quite often because they didn't quite understand it. And Jesus said to them in verse 11, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So that seeing they may see and not perceive... And hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Prophecy being fulfilled. Jesus telling His disciples the purpose of parables. The reason why He taught in this manner. And there was, a remember, a mixed multitude that was there on the seashore. As Jesus was teaching, and and there were those that had hearts that wanted to hear, 
And there were hearts that were there that were hard that could not hear. They would not hear. And that's the way it is today. And we talked about those different kinds of hearts in this parable. He then says in verse 13, he says, do you not understand? That's an important word. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? We're going to look at two other parables this morning. If you don't understand this one, the parable of the sower, then you're going to have a difficult time understanding all the other parables. So I would say that this is an important one to look back on if you weren't here last week. Jesus then went on to explain the parable in verses 14 to 20. He needed to make some clarification of this parable. And He did it with His disciples and He did it with those that were close by. Those, I believe, that were hungry to want to know the truth of this parable, the truth of this teaching. Jesus talked about the seed and, he, and, he, and the seed, we're told, is the Word. The Word being sowed. It was falling on different types of hearts. And Jesus gave four different types of hearts in that parable. There was the wayside heart. We might call it the hard heart. And there are those that have hard hearts that are not receptive. They cannot hear the truths of the Gospel. There were also some that were there that day that had stony hearts. We might call that a shallow heart. You know, they, they hear there's a little bit of seed planted there, but when that sun comes and, and hits that seed that sprouts quickly, it just withers away very quickly. There were some there that had hearts where the seed had been sown amongst the thorns. Uh, those hearts where it didn't take much for things to crowd out the truth. Their hearts were preoccupied. And it's like, a, it's like somebody coming to hear the Word of God, and the only thing they're thinking about is everything except what's being taught to them. They're just sidetracked with everything. The cares of this world, the things going on in their heart and minds, They can't do anything except think on those things. Preoccupied. A crowded heart. Even when the teaching comes, it sounds good to them, but it just gets crowded out. And then we have, lastly, Jesus talks about the good soil, the good heart, the open heart, The heart, really, and the only one out of these four hearts that Jesus says produce fruit. You see, that's the kind of heart that I want to have. A receptive heart. A heart that is preparing itself to hear the Word of God. So that when I go out into this world, when I'm living my everyday life, there might be some fruit that would come forth out of my life. That's a Christian that has a heart that really desires to know truth. 
The word seen in last week's parable was an important word. He said, behold. He said, look. Look at, look at the, the farmer over there sowing the seed. And it's an important word for us to see. But here's something that's even more important than just seeing. It's seeing and it's perceiving. In other words, it's one thing to see with your physical eyes in the natural. It's another thing to perceive the spiritual that Jesus was wanting to bring forth and what they were looking at. There's another word in that parable. It's the word here. And it's an important word also. But there's another word that goes along with hearing. It's the word understanding. You see, it's one thing to hear the Word of God. It's another thing to hear it with understanding. That's what we want. That we would understand the spiritual significance of what the Lord is saying. That we might apply it to our lives. You see, people, they see physical, but they don't see spiritual. They hear with their ears, but they're not able to hear the spiritual significance. You see, I can sit down and tell somebody about Noah and the flood. Somebody that's not even a believer. And they could understand the story and they go, wow, that's quite the story. But it doesn't mean that they would understand the spiritual significance of that story. You could do that with every Bible story in the Bible. Do you have understanding of what's happening there? What's taking place? What significance that has to you and I? Jesus was the master teacher. He he was a communicator. But there were still hearts there that could not receive, could not understand. It had nothing to do with Jesus' teaching ability. It had everything to do with the heart. Jesus, in this chapter, continues to teach His disciples in verses 21-34, to our text today. He tells them that those who hear and understand, they also have a responsibility. We all have a responsibility. If you've come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior you have a responsibility. As followers of Christ, we're called to shine forth in a dark world, aren't we? Shine forth what? The truth of the Gospel. The truths of God's Word. We're called, we have a responsibility to do so. It's why we're still here. You see, when that job's done, you know where we're going to be? In heaven. Until that job's done and that day comes, we have a responsibility as believers, as followers of Christ. In verses 21 to 25, following this parable of the sower, Jesus exhorts his disciples not to put their lamps under a basket. He says, in other words, instead, put your light 
on a lampstand, let it be displayed for the world to see. Let it be displayed where people can see your life. They can see something different about you. Look at your Bibles at verse 21. And Jesus said to them, speaking to His disciples, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? The master teacher. Jesus giving them some things they could relate to. Things in their minds, eye, they, they, could, they could picture this. And you know, as Christians, we're either hiding our light or we're shining our light. It's a, it's a wonderful thing when you're in a place of employment, when you're in school, wherever you spend most of your day and time, that people, right from the beginning, they know who you are. They know you're a Christian. It's, it's the worst thing someone could ever say to me if I worked there for five years and they said, one day they came to realize I was a Christian. I said, you're a Christian? I didn't know that. Really? I've been working with you for five years. You haven't seen anything in me that would declare that I'm a Christian? Not a good testimony, is it? We should be different. People should see something about us that would stand out. We're to let our light shine. Again, the master teacher giving this visual, something familiar to them, this basket. This basket was a bushel basket. A bushel basket was used for gathering. It was used for work. And, and, and sometimes, and if we could pull this from that, sometimes we could even say that work can get in our way of being a, a light and a witness. It shouldn't. We shouldn't be the people of the mindset, you know, when I'm at work, work is work. And when I'm at church, church is church. There should be no separation between our life at work, our life at school, or our life at church, or our life in the home. We should be the same. But we can't hide our light under a bushel basket. You see, we all know that work is necessary. Most of us go off to a place of work or we work at home. But it can also steal time. You can be so caught up into work that you can lose sight of the fact that you need to be a witness for Jesus Christ. It's your mission field. It's why He has you there. Have you ever thought, He also says, how about the bed? Putting that lamp underneath the bed. Why would you do that? But, you know, when I think of a bed, what do you think of? A bed 
has to do with sleep. Has to do with comfort. But in Scripture, it also speaks of laziness. A bed can be laziness. It's often associated that way. In Proverbs 26.14, it says, As a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. You never really think of a bed as being an enemy, do you? (laughs) An enemy of the Gospel. An enemy of you being able to sometimes get out of those warm sheets. To go to something that God has called you to go. Man, I just couldn't get out of bed this morning. Well, the enemy just used that bed, didn't he? To keep us in bed. We, we shouldn't put that lamp under a bushel basket. We shouldn't put that lamp under the bed. But on a lampstand. So that all can see. We might say, be careful about the basket and the bed. Keep that in your mind. We're called to be lights. We're called to be witnesses of Christ to this dark world. As Christians, we're to be out in the open with our faith. We're to radiate, really. We're radiating this light from our lives that the world should be able to see. It should be in season and out of season that that's happening. Peter says in 3.15, 1 Peter, he says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready, Christians, to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. If somebody comes up to you just out of the blue and says, hey, I know you're a Christian. Can you help me right now? Can you tell me? Can you get... Do we have it on the tip of our tongue? Do we have it in our hearts to be able to share and to shine like a light and to give that Gospel to those that are around us? Be ready always. If we know the truth, if you know the Gospel, how many of you know that Jesus Christ died on the cross? Raise your hand. You're a light. How many of you know that He he rose from the dead three days later? Raise your hand. You're a light. It's a simple Gospel message. You You have all of that right there at your disposal. So simple, but that's what shines brightly to this world. The simple truths of the Gospel. But here's something we need to know. You're not a light in yourself. You're simply a reflector of the light. The light that dwells in you. Christ dwelling in you. And you become these reflectors of the light, of the truth. Hopefully no one here is an undercover Christian. You know, there are those out there that are like that. Undercover Christians. You know, I kind of keep to myself. 
I do my own thing. That's not really the intention of our Lord when He's, when he's giving them this parable about being a light to the world. That we would be undercover Christians in this world. We have an opportunity coming up at this Christmas Eve service. I'm going to give a short message on Tuesday night. And then what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, those of us that can, we're going to go outside the building. Uh, We're going to light the candles like we did last year at our candlelight service. And we're actually going to walk this neighborhood on a prayer walk on Tuesday night. One loop around. We're going to sing some carols as we go. And we're going to have some that are going to can't get out that might be back here in a prayer group. And we're going to have some walking the street there that are going to be praying as we go. And some are going to be singing. You can be thinking about that. But we're going to make a loop and pray for our Jerusalem here. And then we're going to come back to the church here and we're going to partake of those Christmas cookies that you're going to bring. And the Fellowship Hall. That's going to be our Christmas Eve service. And I'm going to believe that God wants us to be a light in this Jerusalem. It can be dark out, but we're going to be shining for Christ. Look at verse 22. For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. These truths, Jesus says, are not meant to be hidden. You have a responsibility, Christians. These truths are meant to be made public. We have a responsibility. They're made to to be manifested to those who have an open and willing heart. Look for those that are hungry. Look for those Uh, things that people say to you that all of a sudden your heart's gone, God wants me to say something. And then in faith, step out and open your mouth. Those that have open and willing hearts to hear, God wants to use us. Like Paul and Silas with Lydia at the riverside. In the moment, a hungry heart. And there you are. And God gives you opportunity. I, I'll tell you what, you'll walk away from it. Totally bless you. We go, it'll make your whole day. God, you gave me an opportunity. You actually used me today. And, and you know, see, we don't want to be the best churchgoers. We want to be the best witnesses for Christ. There's coming a day. There's coming a day where all the hidden things are going to be revealed. In 1 Corinthians 4-5, Paul wrote, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. That day is going to come. Where everything that is kept secret, everything that is seemingly hidden, is going to be brought to light. Have you ever tried to conceal light? 
I went on and tried to figure this thing out, and I'm not smart enough. You go on one of these scientific websites and see people that are trying to contain light within a box. Read about it. Some of you might be smart enough to figure it out. But the whole idea is, can you contain light in a box? Can you store it and let it out later? Big question, isn't it? I think as Christians, we're to let our light shine. We're not to contain it. We're to let it shine forth. It's interesting that when you read the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, you see the the, the Bible is about, it's a book of redemption. And it starts out in the very beginning of Genesis, talking about, A God that created the heavens and the earth. And we're told that there was darkness on the face of the deep. And then what happened? And God said, let there be what? Light. And there was light. And and it was good, we're told. And God divided the light from the darkness. We're called to be, if the picture that we see there, even in the first chapter of Genesis, has any implications to the redemption for this world, I think it's a great picture. Could you imagine what that looked like when this earth was first warmed and it was darkness was upon the face of the deep? And with a simple word of God, he said, Let there be light. And what that must have looked like as as light just sprang into darkness. You see, the darker the darkness, the brighter the light shines. Maybe you've been in a cave and experienced that. Take one little match and light it, the whole room lights up. It takes very little light to make a difference in darkness. But light is also a revealer in the darkness. It's just like how how truth exposes air. Light is a revealer. You know, you turn on, you walk into a room and it's dark. You hit the switch, the light, and it reveals what's in the room. In Matthew 4.13, we read that when Jesus had left the the town of Nazareth where He grew up, He came and He dwelt in Capernaum by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and and Naphtali, which were ancient names for this area of Galilee, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan Galilee of the Gentiles, the people, listen to this, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. Can you imagine when Jesus made His way, as we're reading through this Gospel, we're seeing how He's making His way through this whole region, this Galilee of the Gentiles as it's referred Fulfilling prophecy. Being that light that has dawned into a a dark world as He began His ministry. When Jesus sat with His disciples in Matthew 5.14 and He was teaching them 
Sermon on the Mount that we call it. He says to them, you are the light of the world. And and not only are you a light, but you're a city that is set on a hill. And that city cannot be hidden. You know, you place a city on top of a hilltop, you can't hide it. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And then he says this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Did you understand what that verse is saying? For me... In my Christian walk, there was a a, a time where that verse kind of puzzled me. How could it be that people could see my good works and glorify my Father which is in heaven? This is what I've come to learn of that verse. We are all, all new creations in Christ. There are people that know who you were before you knew Christ and what you are now. They see your testimony. They see you shining as a light amongst a lot of darkness that is in this world. And when somebody hears your testimony, they see your testimony being lived out in your life. They see the good works, the change of heart, the change of attitude, a different direction you're going, a different way of thinking, the things that you stopped doing that you used to do, that they're thinking in their mind, there has to be a God. I mean, I know so-and-so. I mean, there's got to be a God. Look at this person. They're not the same person. That's how our life can bring glory to God. People see a change in us. And we're that light to a dark world. In 1 John 1.5, we read, this is the message which we have heard from God and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. It's the very nature of who God is. And that very nature of God, that virtue that that dwells inside of you as a believer. You're just in human flesh and you actually have the divine nature of God living and dwelling inside of you that you might be a reflector of His light. How important are these words that we're reading here? He says in verse 23, a second time in this chapter, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Whenever Jesus says that, He's saying, would you sit up and take notice? Would you really try to grab hold with understanding what I've just said to you? If you have ears then listen intently what I've just said. Jesus says, take heed how you hear. But also, He says, take heed what you hear. How you hear and what you hear. 
Jesus in verses 24 to 25, he gives a warning to the disciples. Look at verse 24. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed what you hear. By the way, this is another command. The tense of the word is, it's a command. Take heed, Christians, what you hear. Make sure that what you hear is sound. Make sure that what you're taking in is sound teaching. You see, bad teaching leads to what? Bad practice. It leads even Christians to bad practices. And as a matter of fact, it's put a whole lot of Christians in error. They follow bad teaching. They're doing things that are not glorifying to God. Practicing and compromising on things that God never intended it to be. Because they're not getting sound teaching. Take heed what you hear. When a Christian picks a church to attend, I believe that the, the, the number one thing you should be looking for is sound teaching. But know this, that's not at the top of the agenda of everyone looking for a church. Biblical teaching. Sound teaching. It it should be of the utmost importance as you look for a place to fellowship, to hear the Word of God taught. Jesus says, take heed, pay attention to what you hear. And I will add to that, not that I'm adding to the Word of God, don't get weird on me, But I will add to that, be careful what you watch on religious channels. You know, be careful what you're reading, what kind of religious books you're reading. Don't just pick up any book and go, that was good, that was really good. What do you base it on? You have to base it upon what does the Word of God say. It's not just because it's a good book. We're all living, if you want to say, in a danger zone today. Social media, books, TV, we got it all, don't we? We got it all. And it brings a lot of confusion within the church. It brings a lot of unsound teaching within the church. And we need to be careful as Christians what we hear. He goes on to say, verse 24, With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. With the same measure you use it'll be measured to you. What you hear from God, what you hear from His Word, will often be 
the measure that you use with others. It's how you'll judge others. It's how you'll communicate things to others. Sometimes in a right way, sometimes in a wrong way. But we need to make sure that what you use is accurate. Because if it's not accurate, and you're, you're judging somebody in the wrong way, or you're doing things unbiblical in your approach, it's going to be measured back to you in the same measure. Not a good place to be. If your message about God, if it lacks grace, if your gospel message lacks mercy and grace, if your gospel message is legalistic in its content and how you share it, then it's going to be measured back to you in the same way. You're going to be legalistic in your approach? If you're, going to sh- if you're going to lack mercy and grace in the message that you share, it'll be measured back to you in the same way. Matthew 5, 7 says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall what? Obtain mercy. If you want mercy from God, then extend mercy. If you want grace from God, then extend grace. That's how we receive back in the same measure. To you who hear and to whoever has, we're told. When you hear and to those who have, when I study God's Word, I first have to hear what God has to say to me. When I sit and I study to prepare, I have to hear what God is speaking to my heart first. I'm not just sitting there in front of the Bible thinking about each one of you. How I can speak to you. It has to speak to me first. And then I have to be one that is willing to put it to practice. It's one thing to prepare a study. It's another thing to do what you study. To be a doer of the Word. You see, if the Word has me, and I do what it says, then Jesus says, more will be given to you. You want more? How many of you want more? Raise your hand. If you want more then you have to learn your lessons, what God has taught you now. You have to learn this before He'll give you more. You have to practice this before He's going to give you more. How about if you keep refusing to hear? How about if you keep refusing to hear or to practice a truth that God has been trying to get into your heart for a long time? Is He going to give you more? It may be that we're sitting on this pew for a long time learning some ABCs when we should already be in our subtractions or in our multiplications. But we can't get out of the ABCs. 
We can't get out of the two plus twos. You see, there's principles in Scripture that when we get it, when we understand it, it'll, uh, it'll affect your walk. It'll have a good effect upon you. You see, the more that we take in, the more that will be given to you. If you can take it in. The more you hunger for truth and righteousness, the more God is going to give you. The more we study the Word of God, the more we will get out of it. If you study the Word of God very little, and you expect to be a good scholar, a Bible teacher, somebody that could, you know, but you look at the Bible very little, and some try to do that, don't they? They don't use the Word of God much. But man, they are a great communicator. But what does the Word of God say? The more we study the Word of God, the more you'll get out of it. You got to sit before it. You got to prepare for it. The more you put into worship, when you come here to worship God and to, to lift up His name, the more you're going to receive back from God. You see, worship is not about me, it's about Him. And, and, and but. And when it's about Him, by the way, when, it, when it's about Him and you come here in your worship, then you know what happens? You receive from Him. You ever walked away from a worship time and go, man, that was good. And have you ever walked in, away from a worship time like nothing affected you? What made the difference? Why did you sit this time and you walked away and go, man, that was so good. Because it was all about Him. And you lifted it and you received from the Lord what He had for you. Very important principles. You see, the more we come to the house of God to give out, the more we're going to get from it. People get that backwards, don't they? What can I get out of this church? What's this going to do for me? And you know, and often people come to church to get. They come to get. And you know what I found the people that come to get is that they're typically the more critical people. They they tend to be the ones that find faults more easily in the worship leader. You're not even looking at me. To find fault in the pastor. His teaching. You know, to find fault in you. People. And the, and the reason why is because they, they haven't come to give, they've come to get. That's the difference. Let me ask you this. Have you ever prayed to prepare yourself to pray? 
Have you ever prayed to prepare yourself to pray? That's a concept, isn't it? Have you ever prepared your heart before you arrived at church? And then when you, rec- you get to church, because you're prepared in your heart, you receive so much more. Quite the concept. I thought I'd come to church to, to get, to receive, you know. To, but how about preparing your heart before you get here? I know being a parent myself, been a long time, but how it is getting kids to church, getting them up and getting them ready. Sometimes it's you getting your husband up and ready. But usually it's the kids. Getting them up and ready for church. And by the time you get to church, you're a little bit rattled. You're on your way to church and maybe you're, you've gotten into an argument with your spouse. That ever happened? Come on, be honest. Heads are shaking. Yes, some no. But getting, getting, getting to church without an argument with your spouse. And then you walk into the worship service. And, and, and you come in and you're, you're wanting to worship the Lord, but your heart is not right. Now, this doesn't mean you can't get it right. But it wasn't right when you came through the door. You didn't settle things even when you got out of the car. Let me give you a little advice. I can say that now. I don't have kids. I'm getting up and getting them all ready and all that. But you might try this next week. Try getting up earlier next Sunday. Have some devotion time and prayer time before the kids get up. Prepare your heart for church. Get to church early. Or I should say earlier than normal. Getting to church earlier than normal so that you don't have to miss any of the worship service that begins here. You know, walking in five, ten minutes late, well, I only missed one song. It's all part of the body of Christ coming together in worship. But here's the benefit of getting in here before it even starts. And you sit there with a prepared heart before the Lord. You're not all stressed out. Get in here prepared in heart so you're not all stressed out. And then see if you don't leave next Sunday blessed, full. I got so much more away than, than those weeks when I just, and I just getting in here, man. I just, I, you know, and, and then when we come in that way, it's all about what I can get. It's all about what I can get, not what I can give. And that's not a good place to be every week. Sometimes that'll be the case. Hey, I say come. If you're all stressed out, come anyway. You come in half hour late, come anyway. That's not the, the point. 
It's been said that a man, a man's getting is always determined by his giving. I like that. If you give out very little, then expect that you're going to receive very little. And I think that that principle applies really in every thing that we do for the Lord. You give out little, you're going to receive little. You give out much, you're going to receive much. You know Jesus' words, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, when we feel the most blessed is when we're giving. Not when we're just getting. Getting gets old. Getting gets religious. Giving is what Jesus did. It's what he calls us to do. Now look at this next parable, verse 26 to 29. This is the picture of the growing seed. Isn't it amazing how seeds grow? It's incredible. I just got brought back to this realization, preparing, looking at this. A seed, a tiny seed that's put into the ground, and then it looks dead when you put it in the ground, and then it pops up, and it turns into this plant or this bush or tree. Incredible. And here's Jesus, the master teacher, likening this growing seed to the growth of his kingdom. By the way, this, is the, this parable is only found in Mark's gospel. Jesus says in verse 26, he says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Remember I told you that chapter 4 is the seed chapter? He scatters seed on the ground. Remember that the seed is the word of God. And should sleep by night and rise by day. And the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. How'd that happen? Little seed in the ground... I can't even figure it out, but it popped up. I don't even know how that happens. Have you ever done that? You take a seed, put it in you know, the little styrofoam cup, you set it in your kitchen window. You put it in there, you show your kids, you know, you go to the window and they, they, they're all anticipating getting up the next morning. You water it. You look at it, a little tiny little sprout comes out comes out of the dirt. It sprouts. You go to bed. And you wake up the next day and that that sprouted seed has grown a little bit taller. You go to bed. And you wake up and the, the seed has grown even more. You go to bed. And you wake up and the seed has now opened up into this small little plant. Amazing. Jesus likens the kingdom of God to one who would scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. 
Jesus says, that's how my kingdom grows. In 2002, I moved my family to the UK to Wales to plant a Calvary Chapel. After six years in that country, we saw how God raised up two churches from nothing. That still amazes me to this day. I go, wow, I couldn't have done that. But it all started by first scattering seed. And by the end of the three years, there was a, a gathering of people that were calling Calvary Chapel Cardiff their, their church. And that church is still growing today. We saw how God did the same when we moved from that city down to Swansea in Wales and planted Calvary Chapel Swansea. Didn't know a soul in a city of 235,000 people. We started scattering seed again. And I saw how it sprouted and how it began to grow. And to this day, I, I, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't tell you how God could do that, but He did. In 2010, we moved from California to North Carolina to plant this church, Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We didn't know a soul in North Carolina. had never had been here. And after nine years, here we are sitting in a, a building, meeting as a church. And none of us really could put our finger on how did God do this? Bringing us all together into this place. And we're just, we're, this is the body of Christ. It's a God thing. And all we had to do is go scatter seed. You scatter seed and it will grow. And God does all that growing, doesn't He? That's not the work of our hands, that's His work. You see, our responsibility is just to scatter. Scatter seed. Look at verse 28. For the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts the sickle puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. All by itself. God's Word has everything in it that's needed to grow His kingdom. We don't need anything else. We just need the truth of God's Word. He doesn't need all of my ingenuity. My figuring it out how to, how to grow a church. He does it. It's up to the farmer to be patient. I know a person in this church that planted a brand new lawn, put a lot of work into it, a lot of tilling, a lot of preparation, planted that seed, and I'll bet you as that seventh day or 14 day, whatever it was for that germination cycle to come up, he was probably out there on his hand, all fours looking across that, looking for that little green grass to pop up. But he was assured that if he did it right, if he sowed the seed, something would sprout. That's what we trust God with. How important was this for the disciples to learn this lesson in a parable? 
something that they could grab onto because they were going to be the ones going out scattering seed. Our responsibility again is to scatter, to share the truth, to make disciples, to teach the Word, but to leave the growth up to God. Leave it up to the Holy Spirit to work. I trust that every time I teach the Word here, the Holy Spirit is doing something in you. If you have a receptive heart, a teachable heart, a pliable heart, then God's going to have His way. Isaiah 55.11 says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. You see, that's what we trust in. Well, they don't want to hear. I shared, I told them, but they don't want to hear. God says, you know what? I want you to go out and I want you to share it anyway. I want you to scatter seed even amongst the hard ground, the stony ground, all the different kinds of hard that's going to fall on all of them. Just keep scattering. Jesus is telling His disciples how His kingdom grows. It's important. It takes a lot of weight off of us, doesn't it? He's doing it. The parable of the mustard seed, verse 30 to 32. And Jesus said, What shall we liken the kingdom of God? Asking a question. Or with what parable shall we picture it? It's like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds of the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and it becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. The master teacher. Talking to them about the seed. A very small seed that is planted. The Word of God. The birds that are nesting in this now large bush or tree. People have mixed a little bit on what that means. Some people believe that when the little seed grows up into this large bush or tree, that it's full of these birds that can find a place to sit, and that God is building this large megachurch. Others, as we've read in this chapter already, see birds in a negative sense. They see how the seed is thrown down and it eventually grows into something large and big and something we go, wow. But with that, the birds come and lodge. They come in. The pastor and commentator Warren Worsby wrote this about the birds. The growth of the kingdom will not result in the conversion of the world. In fact, some of the growth will give opportunity for Satan to get in and go to work. Remember that those seeds that were sown in the parable of the sower, some fell by the wayside, the hard-packed ground. And we're told that the birds of the air came 
and devour you. We finish today in verse 33 to 34. And with many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them. And then look what it says, as they were able to hear it. The master teacher. The patient teacher. Uh, Because you see, I could get up and, and, and maybe at times I do this, maybe I give you too much. For some, it might be too much. For some, they might be saying, I want more. You see, Jesus knows what we're able to take in and what's too much. What I'm not able to grab hold of. He is a master teacher, but he is also very patient in his teaching. It says that he spoke to the word to them as they were able to hear it. But then it says, but without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. He spent that extra time with these men. He invested himself in these disciples that had become apostles, that were going to be sent out, scattering seed. They needed to understand the kingdom rules. They needed to understand how his kingdom would expand. They needed to know that you are lights in this world, in a dark world. You need to go out as lights. It's what we're all called to do. If the church would just get this vision that the most important thing we can do is get the gospel out to this dying world instead of just building a bigger church, doing that. If they could just get that, then we'll go home sooner. And I'm all right with that. When the work's done here on earth, then we go home. Meanwhile, the Lord just says, yeah, if you want to wander around the wilderness for all these years doing your thing, I'm patient. But we have a job to do. And each one of us are those lights. Wherever you're at, you need to ask yourself, God, would you let me shine for you this week? Would you let my light so shine before men that they may see my good works, not to my glory, but to your glory, and that they would glorify my Father which is in heaven. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for you.